Welcome to the Do Something Beautiful podcast. I am your host, Leah Darrow, and I share with you inspirational people who are truly doing something beautiful to make our world better. We are inspired by the words of St. Mother Teresa of Calcutta, who said, do something beautiful for God. Do it with your life. Do it every day. Do it in your own way, but do it. This podcast is brought to you by Audible. For you, the listeners of the Do Something Beautiful podcast, with a free 30-day trial of Audible, you can get my new book, The Other Side of Beauty, read to you by yours truly for free. All you got to do is go to audibletrial.com slash Darrow. Audible is Amazon's audio bookstore and it has over 180,000 audiobooks to choose from. And so if you're like me and you like to listen to books while you travel, exercise, or cook, this is perfect for you. To get my audiobook for free, all you got to do is go to audibletrial.com slash Darrow. That's audibletrial.com slash Darrow, and you're in. The Do Something Beautiful podcast is also brought to you by Haiti 180. If you want to do something beautiful in the world, but find yourself busy, possibly overwhelmed with life, family, or work, but you still want to donate money for a good cause, you can still do something beautiful by becoming a Team 180 member. Haiti 180 provides an orphanage for 40 children, two elderly homes, a school for over 200 students, and a medical clinic in a small village in the hills of Haiti. Now, many of the listeners of this podcast have generously donated over $26,000 to build the maternity wing of the new hospital. And for as little as $15 a month, you can sponsor an orphan. That's 50 cents a day, people, 50 cents a day to help a little boy or a little girl have a good and just life. I've been there. I have seen their good works and I continue to give them my time, talent, and treasure. And I'm asking you to do the same. Go to Haiti180.com and do something beautiful with me. That's Haiti180.com. Hello, friends. Today in this episode, we are talking to Julia Marie Hogan. Julia is a licensed clinical professional counselor in Chicago. She has her master's in science and clinical psychology at the Institute of Psychological Sciences in Arlington, Virginia. And she specializes in the integration of the Catholic faith with the practice of psychology. Very interesting, really awesome. So we talk specifically about her new book, and that is called It's Okay to Start With You, talking about authentic self-care. So it's really, really great. If you're into very practical conversations or practical books, this episode and her book is definitely for you. The book itself has a lot of space in there for you to write down what's going on in your life, how you can maybe readjust, recalibrate things so that you can take better care of yourself and then therefore taking better care of the people in your life. We talk specifically in this episode about how to fight the inner critic. And so she gives us a ton of to-dos of how to do that. And I have included all of that in the show notes. So you don't even have to take the notes. I've taken them for you. They're in the show notes. You can grab them there. She's a wonderful gal. She is very knowledgeable about this topic. And I think you're going to really enjoy what she has to say. So without further ado, here is Julia Marie Hogan. All right. And welcome back to the podcast and welcome, Julia. Julia, how are you doing? Great. I'm fine, Leah. Thanks so much for having me. You bet. All right. Julia Hogan, you are a therapist. You're a writer. You're an author. 
so many questions that we have for you right there. I mean, <laughs> do you normally get like as soon as you tell people that you're a you know licensed therapist that you, they're just like, oh, I have to ask you a question. Is that typically what happens? I'd have to say yes. There's usually like a couple questions that people always ask, and because I think it's such a mysterious world, therapy. And so to, you know, meet someone who's a therapist, I think there's a lot of curiosity about what happens in that room when people are talking to you about their problems. <laughs> I, I bet there are a lot of questions. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm sure there are. <laughs> okay. So what are some of the typical questions people ask you as soon as they find out that you are a therapist? Yeah. A lot of people, actually lately, this has been a question that's coming up for a lot of people. They've been asking me what it's like to listen to people talk about their problems all day. And a lot of times I'll say like, I don't know how you can do it. I think it would be so sad. I think it would be so depressing. I think it would really weigh on you. And so I usually tell them that, I mean, it can be hard to hear some people's stories because some people go through some really terrible things, but we're talking about those things in therapy to help them grow and to help them heal. So there's a purpose to it. And when, as a therapist, when I have the chance to see someone grow and overcome something that's happened in their lives and to choose a new path and to just succeed in life and be thriving, it's incredibly rewarding and it makes all of the hard sessions 100% worth it. So it's not a career that's for everyone, that's for sure, but it's really just filled with a lot of hope too. So I think sometimes we tend to think of therapy as filled with lots of you know, sad and difficult things. And it is, but it's all framed within that helping you to grow, helping you to thrive. And so there's a lot of hope infused in that. It sounds like it parallels a lot of the role of the priest in the confessional too, of just someone who's there, who's listening to the brokenness, listening to hurt, listening to doubts and questions and trying to figure things out. And of course, obviously it's a different role. I We all know therapist and priest, but that sense though, that, that you are still taking it in. So for you to be able to take all of that in and then not absorb it into your own psyche and personal life and everything, mm-hmm. you've got to be able to like, I'm sure, I'm sure you do things to take care of yourself to help kind of work through that. I mean, how, what does that look like for you? Oh, yeah. I mean, you're absolutely right. I think like a lot of times for my clients, they'll tell me that I'm the only person who they can talk to about certain things. And so there is that sort of like weight or responsibility that you carry as a therapist. And So self-care is something that as therapists, we all have to practice. I mean, everyone does too, but especially in therapy or anyone who's in a caring profession. So nurses and doctors, there's actually something out there, the research calls it compassion fatigue, which is essentially getting burned out from dealing with all of these really heavy stories and experiences that people have that you're working with. And so, I mean, for me, self-care is really watching what my schedule looks like. So making sure that I'm not overbooking myself, that I'm taking time for breaks. I actually schedule breaks in my day in between a certain number of clients. And then I kind of have a a certain number that I won't schedule more of in a row, just because I know that I can get mentally burnt out. And then I also make sure that I make time for vacation, I think is Americans, we don't take enough time, right? A lot of vacation days go unused. I don't know the exact number, but I was uh, writing an article a couple years back and looking into the research of that. And we just don't take our vacation days. So, you know, I think as a therapist, part of my job is to live the self-care that I, I have to practice what I preach, right? And so it's a work in progress, but trying to make sure that I have that balance as much as I can so that I can fully be present to my clients but then also be taking care of myself so that I don't fall into that compassion fatigue burnout stage. Yeah, absolutely. So now talking about therapy, and we're going to talk a little bit more about 
our topic today, which is talking about the inner critic. And you talk about this specifically in your new book, It's Okay to Start With You, out this June 2018. And we're going to get into that in just a minute. But I want to go back and I'd like to just start really quickly in talking to you about therapy itself, because this is kind of where we're at here. How do you know when it's time to go to therapy? That's a great question. I think there's probably not one answer. You know, everybody's experiences are different. But I think sometimes a good benchmark to know if therapy can help you is if something's been going on for a while and you feel like you can't handle it alone. And so that could be it's affecting your day-to-day functioning. That's usually actually a criteria that therapists use when they're diagnosing someone with something, right? Is what you're experiencing impacting your day-to-day functioning. So as an example, that it's hard to get out of bed or you're not being able to focus when you're at work or at school because of whatever you're experiencing. So if it if it's becoming something that you feel like you can't handle on your own and you need outside help, that's usually the time or a sign to reach out for professional help. And and getting professional help. I mean, there used to be a pretty big stigma on therapy. Like right. it was like hush hush like oh did you hear she's in therapy. Mm-hmm. Um I feel like that's gotten much better. Do you think that we've eradicated this type of stereotype around therapy or do you think it's still there? I mean, as a therapist, how do you feel about that? Yeah, I think it's not yet eradicated, but I think we've definitely made an improvement from before. So I think prior generations, it was something that you just didn't talk about. So some of my older clients will tell me how their parents, they think they might have had depression or they might have had anxiety and they took some pills for it, but they're not exactly sure what it was because it wasn't talked about. So it was very much a hush-hush thing. I think we've kind of moved a little bit more into the acceptance realm. There's a lot of cool organizations out there promoting mental health and wellness, especially to college-age kids. But I think I still have a lot of clients who will tell me, A, that it took them a really long time to muster up the courage to call to make their first appointment because it was really scary and intimidating to even think about going to therapy. So I often tell them that the first appointment is the hardest one, right? It's like ripping the bandaid off. Oh, now you're here and now we can move forward, right? So that's the first kind of barrier or where stigma shows up. And then the second is telling others that you're in therapy. So I have a lot of clients who will tell me that, you know, they were scared to tell a friend that they were in therapy. But once they told them, they found out that friend was going through something really similar, or they told a coworker and they found out, oh my gosh, practically the whole office is dealing with anxiety right now. Someone's like so many of us are seeking help for it. So it's, I think it's slowly opening up and slowly becoming more accepted, but I think there's still a long way to go. Yeah, I agree. But I think it, I think people are finding more courage to talk about it and to admit it. And then it seems like when, once people do, it opens up this huge door of other people saying, Hey, me too. Or that's so great that you said you went and got therapy for something that was going on because I've been thinking about it. And now I know that if you're somebody who goes, then I might be able to, I might go as well. Yeah, totally. It, it just seems to be a place where, you know, as if you can be brave enough to speak up and say, Hey, I chose to do that to take care of myself. It seems to uh, give an allowance to others to be mm-hmm. able to to choose it for themselves if that's what something that they were thinking about. I know that it was the case for me. I have my bachelor's in psychology, so I was very comfortable and familiar with the idea of therapy. Obviously, mm-hmm. I was intending to go that route until, until God was like, let's do something different. But <laughs> But so I was comfortable with that because that was just an interest of mine in academia. 
However, later on in life, when a lot of things began to kind of happen that I could not handle on my own, I, I did seek therapy many times over the years, many, many, many different times off and on for, for things that was going on. And it's been a wonderful experience and definitely encourage anybody else who's thinking about it. And if you're thinking about it and you're thinking you might need some help in some areas, it doesn't have to be, and you're, you're a therapist. So, so Julia, you tell me if this is wrong, but I kind of think <laughs> like, look, if you're at that place where you're thinking, I think I might just need to talk to somebody about this and get perspective and help me work through this because I can't seem to be moving past the certain point. For me, sometimes therapy, I've learned in my my history of of it that it's not something where you, it has, doesn't have to be your last resort. It can be something where now that I've been before, if I'm noticing a trend, like you said, if I'm noticing like, okay, this is continuing to bother me and I'm not getting past this and I can't kind of move beyond it with my resources that I currently have within my life right now, I now... And more apt to seek counsel with a trusted therapist before it gets really out of hand. Right. No, you're absolutely right. I think it's something that I phrase, I describe therapy as this gift that you can give to yourself, right? It doesn't have to be a last resort. It doesn't have to be this intensive long-term thing. It really can be like a check-in or like a tune-up if you need to throughout your life. And, you know, I think we're so busy, right? Like we are constantly bombarded with information. We're running from thing to thing. People need things from us, you know, especially if you're a mom, right? Your kids need your attention. And even just pausing and taking time for yourself to work on things that are happening in your life or your attitude about things or how you're handling a relationship. We don't have time for that, or it's just really hard to carve out that time. And I think because of those distractions and because we're so busy, and what therapy does is it sets that structure for you to work on what's happening in your life and to make those changes because it's 50 minutes. It's setting aside all those distractions. You're meeting with someone who is right there with you to walk alongside you, to help you work through things and to provide that outsider perspective that you might not necessarily have, right? When we're in our own lives and we're in the thick of it, it's really hard to rise above and take that bird's eye view because we've just got like so many webs going out, right? Connecting us to things. And so your therapist as that outside perspective can help you make those connections that it's harder for you to see. So it's really, it's, it's a gift that you can give to yourself. And it doesn't have to be like you said, a last resort or something. Um, You know, I've tried everything else, I guess I have to do therapy, right. And I think it's also important to know, and Leah, you can kind of, you know, add to this too, but that there's all different types of therapy. I think we tend to think of therapy is, you know, laying on the couch, right? And kind of going through your stream of consciousness and your therapist just nodding and taking notes, but that's not what it is at all, right? There's all these different approaches that you can take. So there's some that reflect more on making connections, you know, in in your past and in your relationships and how can you heal from them. There's a branch of therapy called cognitive behavioral therapy, which is what I do. And that's looking at how the way we think and feel influences our actions how we can change how we think and how we change how we feel. And that can change our how we operate in life. There's all these different approaches. And so it's it can be a little bit overwhelming, but a little bit of research and finding a good therapist can really help you just heal and move forward. Well, if you like fashion, gourmet food, and your faith, you need to know that I am leading a Theology of Beauty pilgrimage to Italy this July 2018 with Father Leo Padalinghug, the famous cooking priest. 
We'll be heading out there July 7th through the 16th. And there are, uh, there are still a few seats available, but I can't guarantee how long they're going to last. So you want to book it now. We will be heading up some amazing cities such as Milan, Turin, Venice, and of course, Roma. A pilgrimage is so much more than a vacation. It's really a time to unplug and reconnect to your faith and the people around you. It's a wonderful experience. You can find out every detail and the itinerary at my website, leadero.com slash pilgrimage. Grab your spot now before it sells out and I'll see you in Italy. And talking about that, I think this is a, a good place for us to really get into what we want to dive into a little bit more at this point. But you talk a lot about this in your new book. Your new book is It's Okay to Start With You. And we'll definitely include mm-hmm. all of those links for you in the show notes. So you don't, you can just click on that when you're done listening. But you talk a lot about like, like self care. And mm-hmm. this is like a buzzword, right? Self care, yes. self care. Like, oh, uh, and, and people, <laughs> people will use this in the wrong terms and the wrong ways. And I automatically think of just because of maybe my age, I remember thinking of the episode on Parks and Rec of Treat Yourself. Where uh-huh. they're just yeah. like, they have like this one day, Tom and Donna, the characters on the show, and they save up their money for a whole year to do this treat yourself day. And they go out and they buy whatever they want and they, and they call this self care. So mm-hmm. in your book, you know, as a licensed therapist, <laughs> as a speaker, as a writer, you talk about what, like, what actually is self care. So first off, I was wondering if you could help us out. Can you tell us what is self-care and also what it's not? Let's start there. Yeah, I think that's a great place to start. So really, I think what I want to do is start with what self-care isn't to kind of just get that out of the way. So I think a lot of us, when we hear self-care, we think about strategies or practices that are about pampering ourselves. And so, you know, I was just watching a YouTube video and she was doing some self-care challenges and Two of her challenges were getting a manicure and going for a massage, right? And those are both two great things, but those aren't really taking care of your whole person or your whole self, right? And so self-care isn't just a surface level thing. It's not being selfish. It's not, you know, treating yourself, right? By just buying yourself things or experiences. It's really acknowledging that you are a person who's created and loved by God, right? And that God loves you right now in this moment, even with all of your imperfections, right? He knows that you're not perfect and he loves you anyway, and he wants what's best for you. And so self-care is acknowledging that it's truly believing that. And then it's treating yourself and others that you interact with in the world in the same way. So I like to use that Bible verse, gospel verse, love your neighbor as yourself. And I think we tend to focus on the neighbor part, right? And we say, Okay, so that means that I have to treat people like the golden rule, right, with kindness and respect and how I would want to be treated. But I like to kind of spin that in a different way and say, well, if you're treating your neighbor that way, are you treating yourself that way? Are you taking care of yourself the way you would take care of a friend? So a lot of times, you know, we have these standards we set for ourselves that are so high. We expect ourselves to be perfect. And when we don't meet those standards because they're impossibly high, we feel like a failure and we beat ourselves up for it. And we tell ourselves we're not good enough and we'll never make it. But if you stop and you 
look at a friend and a friend who's going through a rough time and maybe set a goal for themselves and they didn't make it. We don't treat our friends with that same rigidity, right? We look at our friend with compassion and encouragement and we say, it's okay. You tried your best. Like, it's fine. You're going to be okay. I'm here to support you. I'm here to like help you through it all. Right. But we, we kind of deny ourselves that same love and compassion because we don't really believe that God loves us as we are right now with our imperfections. Right. And so self-care can only happen. Authentic self-care, I should say, can only happen when we learn to love ourselves the way that God loves us. And then when we learn that, we treat ourselves differently in the way that we take care of our bodies and the way that we take care of our minds and our spiritual lives and the way that we interact with people in relationships. And it's a way of living knowing that God loves you. Yeah, that was good. It's a lot of stuff, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm sitting here taking notes as you're talking, actually. Like, that's right. Authentic self-care. I mean, yeah. And it's, but it's so right. How often do we give, not, we don't give excuses. That's not, that, that's not the right word. Mm. But we, we give these allowances. We understand, like you said, we have compassion for the people in our lives when, when they struggle, when they fight, when what's going on. And because obviously it's not us, right? We can see the bigger picture. We, we look at them in love and authentic love. And we're just saying, look, they're trying really hard Mm -hmm. and something, you know, it didn't go the way that they wanted, or maybe they did drop the ball, but that's okay. And I just know as for me, I'm thinking about this in terms of my current life. And so I'm a mom. I've got all these small kids. They're awesome. Of course, love them, love them. But mm-hmm. so often it's just like I'm trying to you know, be everything to everybody. And then I look at my other girlfriends who are moms and I'm like, oh, you're doing amazing. You're so mm-hmm. great. Like, look, look what you're doing. And it's true. Sometimes I don't look at myself and be like, you know what? I am doing okay. That doesn't mean I'm, I consider myself perfect by any means. I think everybody who listens to my podcast knows that I know that about myself, <laughs> but, but I sometimes don't give myself that same compassion. And it's so easy to do that. It's so easy for us to have that understanding of other people and then sometimes not of ourselves. And then on the flip side, cause I think when that happens, it does say something about us. It says something like, like you said, like we, why do we do that? Because we clearly, are not embracing our identity as being made in the image and likeness of God Almighty, that right. He loves us, that He knows exactly how He made us. He knows that we're imperfect. He knows that we're going to fall. And there's some beauty in that because we can rely and we can fall upon God to help pick us back up. And so, so there's that beauty there. And then, but there is that, there is that little break. There is that, that little problem that we're having if we're not able to love ourselves the way that we are called to love others. And of course, all of that originating from from loving God and accepting his love for us in return. And like on the opposite extreme, we see the same thing of people who don't give mercy to others, people who are very hardened. Mm-hmm. You find that they are also very hardened within themselves, mm-hmm. that they don't give themselves mercies. So they also don't give it out. And if we kind of allow ourselves to kind of continue going on, not being compassionate with ourselves, we end up in that realm. We end up just that being that person where we're going to stop loving our neighbor altogether because we're really just going to stop loving who God made us to be. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think it's, it can really like, I don't know, like the roots can go so deep. Right. And I think that, you know, that hearing God's voice and knowing his love and his mercy too, I think we tend to forget about that, that he 
wants to forgive us, right? He has all of this mercy that he wants wants us to receive. And sometimes we cut ourselves off from that, right? And we say like, oh no, I can't forgive myself for what I did. I'm not perfect. I make mistakes. Like I don't even love myself. How could God love me, right? And that's where that voice of God or that loving experience of God's love gets replaced by what I call in my book, the inner critic, right? And that's that voice inside your head that's constantly telling you that you're not good enough, that you always make mistakes, that no one really likes you, no one loves you. Why would anyone you know, want to be in a relationship with you? Why would someone want to hire you for this job? And just kind of like beats you down. And it's just so hard to love yourself when you have that voice going on in your head. And when you have that voice whispering in your ear, you treat yourself according to that voice, if that makes sense, right? So if you feel like you're not worth it, you're not going to take care of yourself physically, right? So that could mean you don't give yourself enough sleep, or you're not eating properly, or you're not exercising, because why would you lose weight anyway, you'll never lose weight, or you'll never look the way you want to. And so you may as well not try, right? Or it might mean staying in an unhealthy relationship, because you don't believe that anybody else would love you. And so this is as good as it's going to get, right? So it can really like influence the way that we act in the world and the way that we treat ourselves if we let this inner critic kind of like grab the megaphone in our brain and shout in our ear, right? It's it's hard to not listen to it, but we have to challenge it. Mm. So, okay, so how do we challenge the inner critic? How do we fight the inner critic that says all of those things to us? Because we all have that. I mean, if we're going right. to be honest with ourselves, there's that stupid critic within all of our heads that is definitely telling us basically bottom line, you're not good enough. Like, Mm -hmm. and don't try, just stop, just absolutely give up because there's no point and it's not worth it. And I remember doing some research for my own book about this and it was so interesting to find out about what our inner voices, how are, how like the voice that we say to ourselves message, we give ourselves how that actually affects our neurology. Mm-hmm. It literally changes things in your brain. It shuts down. It kind of numbs out. It silences that frontal lobe, that executive functioning where mm-hmm. you're able to make some good decisions. You can discern properly all of those wonderful things. And then it, so it kind of like shuts down that area when we have negative self talk and it highlights, it starts to light up the area in the amygdala where your fear and your anger and all of those centers kind of reside. And Mm -hmm. so when we say negative things aloud to other people, about other people, about ourselves, or even when we say them to ourselves within ourselves, those things happen within a brain. The frontal lobe kind of shuts down and then the back of the brain, the amygdala area kind of starts to light up and it creates this spirit of fear and sometimes a spirit of anger and frustration within Mm -hmm. ourselves or whatever we're talking about. So how do we fight that? How do we fight the megaphone of the inner critic so we can kind of silence it to some point, to some level to like teach ourselves that even though it's going to keep coming back, how can we stop it before it gets out of control? Yeah, I think I'm so glad you brought in like the brain structure and everything because it reminded me that a lot of neurologists will say, use the phrase, the neurons that fire together, wire together. So that means that the more you use certain neurons, the more it's almost like paving a road in your brain, right? They become strengthened and they become stronger the more that you use them. And so that can work positively or negatively, right? So in this case, we're saying, well, when your inner critic is that voice is loud, when that negative self-talk is going, it's like those neurons are firing together. 
wiring together and becoming stronger. And so to break that cycle, you need to reverse it, right? And so and that really means focusing on what's going on in your life that's positive, what's going on that's positive within yourself. Sometimes my clients find it really hard to go for the positive. So although I'll encourage them to just go for something neutral, right? So if you're not comfortable saying that you're really good at XYZ, you can say something like, well, you know, I got this degree or I got this job, right? So fact-based things, if you're not ready to kind of jump to the positive, but it's a way of turning your attention away from the negative, the negative self-talk and focusing on what's real, what's positive so that those neurons can fire together and wire and become stronger. And I think that it's something that takes time, right? It's not an overnight fix because when you think about negative self-talk, I kind of de- I usually describe it as a filter or a like a sieve in your brain. And so it's only letting the negative stuff come through and it's trapping what's positive and what's realistic because I think I would encourage everyone to try to notice when that inner critic starts speaking because it's it usually uses words that are black and white, right? So I'm always a failure. I never do this right. I'll never make it right. So lots of black and white statements, always, never, nothing, everything. And so those that negativity is what gets filtered through and everything that's positive and, you know, realistic and fact based is trapped. And so you're having to reopen that filter, right? And let everything spill through. And so that really means focusing on what's positive in your life, focusing on what you have going on, because very, very rarely is your life completely terrible, right? We all go through really difficult things in life, but there's always a reason to hope. There's always something good. I usually bring up Viktor Frankl. Are you familiar with Man's Search for Meaning? Oh, yes. Yes. I love that book. I, when I read it in high school, it has been like one of my favorite books ever since because he was in a concentration camp, right? And in the midst of all of that terrible, awful, horrible suffering, he was able to maintain hope and he was able to keep going despite all of that suffering. And when he was freed from the concentration camp, he wrote an entire book on his experience and how to cultivate hope even in difficult circumstances. So I think that just proves as an example of, you know, here's a man who was surrounded by the worst in human nature, right? And he was able to cling to some kind of hope. And so I think we can all do that. And it's, I think making that decision, like I said, it's not going to happen overnight. But thinking about the alternative, right? I can focus on the positive and the good in my life, and I can grow, and I can thrive, and I can flourish, or I can let that inner critic continue to beat me down. And I'm going to move through life really not liking myself and not giving myself the care that I deserve and neglecting myself and that I'm not going to be happy, right? I'm not going to feel fulfilled. I'm not going to be joyful. I'm going to feel far away from God. I'm not going to feel close to him. How do we incorporate, for those of us who want to incorporate our faith into fighting the inner critic? And mm-hmm. what you said right here, I mean, is fantastic. And we'll include this in the show notes too. So if you're like wondering like, is there a list of what she just said? Don't worry. I've made the list for you. I'm taking my <laughs> notes, friends. So I am putting what Julia is saying here in list form for some of these things for us, for you able to kind of look at. But if we want to include more of our faith and our spirituality into fighting the inner critic, after we've gone through these 
steps that you've talked about, about like focusing on what's real, trying to focus also on what's positive, keeping in mind those trigger words that you Mm -hmm. mentioned of always, never, nothing, everything. And then also focus on flourishing. I love that you said that. That was great. So incorporating our faith into this at this point of fighting the inner critic, like how can you speak to that of like as Mm -hmm. a therapist of how we can incorporate our faith into fighting the megaphone of the inner critic? Yes, I think there's lots of things you can do, which is good news, right? And if you are Catholic, I would really encourage you to make use of the sacraments, especially confession in the Eucharist, right? Because confession is where you are acknowledging your shortcomings, but then also opening yourself up to God's forgiveness and his mercy, right? And accepting that. So receiving those graces. So if that's something that you're struggling with, that's a perfect venue to work on that. And then going to the same priest, right? Having a regular confessor can also help with that because he can kind of help you notice patterns and make recommendations and things like that. Another thing that you can do, I think, is spiritual direction is really great. And because a spiritual director can help you notice how your understanding of God and your view of God is affecting your everyday life, right? So if you view God as someone who is 100% judgmental, he's not forgiving, and you have to be perfect or else he's not going to love you, that's going to influence how you act in your life, right? And that's going to like feed that inner critic. And so a good spiritual director can help you take a look at that and see, you know, is there another way to understand God, a more accurate way to understand who he is and how he loves you? And how can that shift the way that you think about yourself and interact in the world? So that's the second thing. And then, oh, and as a, just as an aside to, if you have a spiritual director and you're also thinking about therapy, you can always find a good Catholic therapist or Christian therapist to work with, and then give permission for your spiritual director and therapist to work together. And that can actually be a really good healing working relationship as well. And then the third thing is I would recommend the book, The Second Greatest Story Ever Told by Father, I think it's Michael, Father Michael Gately. Mm -hmm. And I just think that's such a great book because what he does is he starts with the beginning. I think he starts in the Old Testament and he goes all the way through up to John Paul II and Divine Mercy and just weaves and connects all these historical events and spiritual events with God's mercy throughout history and how God loves us and is offering us his mercy. So I think it's a really amazing book to read if you're not convinced of God's mercy and compassion and to help you see all of these points in history where he has given us these huge gifts to help us realize that better and how much he wants to give us his mercy. Jeez, that's amazing. That is such a great book too. And we'll include all of those links in the show notes just so you have them if you're interested in it. I love, of course, that you started out with incorporating our faith into this um, in terms of silencing the critic with the sacraments. Mm -hmm. Um, And as you've been saying throughout this podcast of talking about love and mercy and really making sure that we incorporate the mercy aspect too, you have to because you can't separate it, right? I mean, mean, even the sacraments that you had mentioned, the Eucharist and reconciliation, they're two sides of the same coin. Mercy can never be separated from love. Love can never be separated from mercy. So you have in reconciliation, obviously, God's mercy pouring forth. And then you have in the Eucharist, the same thing, God's love pouring forth and giving his life, giving his body as food for our bodies. 
it's just so beautiful how that's just it, it, our faith just ties into everything of who we are and what we desire and what we want and how we can be healed and made new time and time again through the sacraments and through the embracing of God's love, which is also mercy as well. Yeah, I totally agree with all of that. I think that's why I really love that book I just recommended so much because it really just lays it all out there for you, God's love and God's mercy and how those two things are intertwined. And there's always hope in our lives, right? We make mistakes and none of us are perfect, but we just need to pick ourselves up and keep moving forward. And that's all God asks from us, right? Is that keep moving forward and improving and becoming better and living in his love and his mercy and thriving. Amen. Amen. Okay, so so fighting the inner critic. We've got some great, great points. I just I love I love when people are like super practical and they can really tell us exactly what to do <laughs> to move on with this. Okay, so in practicing this type of self-care of fighting the inner critic, you also in your book, which I think is so great, you include in the book right here that you've just written, it's called It's Okay to Start With You by Julia Hogan. You actually include a section in your book for people to write out an action plan for this type of authentic self-care. Can you talk a little bit about that and how that's laid out for us so that when we um, when we go to Amazon to grab it, we know exactly what we're getting ourselves into? For sure. Yes. What am I buying when I buy this book, right? So the book is broken into two parts. And the first part is really looking into what is self-care? Why does it matter? Correcting some misconceptions about it and really laying the foundation for why you should even consider making this a part of your life. And then the second part of the book is kind of where the rubber meets the road, right? So the practical side of things. And Leah, yeah, I have to agree with you. I'm so passionate about having practical agenda items or action items for things. That was how I was in grad school. I would sit in class and we would talk about all these theories and everything, but I'd be sitting there just kind of itching to like, how do you put this into practice? Like, how do you make this practical? How do you live this out in the real world? So when I was writing the book, I really wanted to make sure that there were these two sides, you know, to the book so that the reader would leave knowing what, with a plan, knowing what they would, would do once they closed that last page. So the second half of the book goes through the different areas that you can practice self-care in. So our physical life, emotional, mental relationships, and spiritual. And so I go through and I talk about what self-care looks like in each of those categories. And then each of those chapters contains reflection questions. So with some space to write, which I think is really cool. So as you're reading... And I'm talking about like, how do you take care of yourself physically? Are you getting enough sleep? How are you exercising? How are you taking care of your body? You can answer those questions as you're going. And then at the end, what I've included is a self-care action plan. So I talk about how to make a plan and, you know, how much to start introducing, how many changes to make so that you don't overwhelm yourself, right? Because the whole point is so that it's sustainable and it's not something you do for two weeks and then give up because it's too hard, right? So making those small changes and how to do them and using some really great research principles to help you make effective changes. And the other thing in the second half of the book that I really like and that I'm excited about for readers to use is a self-care assessment. So I put together a series of questions addressing different areas of your life where you can take a look and see how am I taking care of myself or how am I not taking care of myself and The goal of the assessment is to help you zero in on the areas that you need to focus the most. So it's super practical and readers will really get a good sense of 
where they can go, what they can do. And I really, my hope is that they read this book and feel empowered about, you know, that they can make changes in their lives, that it's, it's okay. Like the title says, right, it's okay to take care of yourself. It's actually a good thing. And you're going to see so many benefits in your life, right? Because the whole point of practicing self-care is so that you experience God's love, but then you can be the most authentic version of yourself, right? Someone who is alive, who's full of energy, who, you know, people can look at you and say like, what's different about him or her? Like, what do they have? And it's that knowledge that you're loved by God. And so when you have that knowledge, you're just a better person in all areas of your life, right? You are a better mom, you are a better coworker, a better son, a better daughter, a better boss, a better friend, right? All of those things because you are rooted in that knowledge and you're living your life according to that knowledge and that belief. Amen. Absolutely. And it gives you so much more confidence as you go throughout life with new challenges, new seasons of life, knowing like, okay, it doesn't mean you have all the answers, but at least you have the tools to handle whatever comes your way, right? With God and with these tools of self-care, authentic self-care, which takes care of yourself, as you mentioned, and then allows us to experience that love of God so that we can appreciate who we are and how he's made us and then pass that love and compassion on to others as we're called to. Right. Yeah. And I think, you know, self-care looks different, like you said, in the different seasons of our lives. And so, you know, for, you know, one, six months of the year, you might be doing it differently than the next six months. And, but it's not about being perfect and it's not about, you know, being rigid. It's about that flexibility and knowing that things can change, but rolling with that change as long as you're rooted in that core belief. Absolutely. This book is fantastic. I promise you, you're going to love it. It's okay to start with you is something that will help you recalibrate over and over in the different seasons of your life so that you can take on that authentic self-care. As Julia mentioned, embrace the love of God that he has for you and how he made you, and then pass that on to others and what we're, we're called to do instead of putting everybody else first, and then we end up suffering, and then we crash and burn, and we're wondering <laughs> what happened. So the right. effort that we have less crashing and burning, you got to grab this book. It's okay to start with you. It's available. It's from, it is published with Our Sunday Visitor, fantastic company. And they, uh, you can grab it there or you can grab it at Amazon. Very, very quick and easy. It'll be available mid-June. And so in honor of this beautiful, a beautiful book and to do something beautiful, Julia has graciously allowed us to do a book giveaway. So if you want a free copy of this book, this is what you have to do. You got to go to Instagram and you got to find me, Leah.Darrow. You got to find Julia. Julia, what is your Instagram handle? It's Julia Marie Hogan. Perfect. Okay, there we go. And so you go there and we will, you got to just follow the little, little prompts. Follow Julia, follow me if you haven't already. And then we will randomly pick out a winner to receive a free copy of this book. It's super great. It's going to be fantastic. Once again, I always am thinking about so many different women who this would be good for. And it's just, it's ageless. I mean, this is good for anyone at any season in life, especially this summer where we're going to be hitting up a like, you know, that lull in between jobs and school seasons. This is a great time for you to take the time this summer, hopefully, where hopefully your life is starting to wind down a little bit in whatever season you're at. Maybe your kids are out of school, so maybe that's not so relaxing. I don't know. I don't, I don't know. My kids are, my kids are always home for me, but 
just the stress of maybe not going to school every day. But however it is, this is a great time. I think even even the, the, the timing of the book release is really wonderful where you can take this, you can hopefully soak up some great vitamin D with the sun, take your book outside, read it, start incorporating that authentic self-care for yourself. Love yourself, love God, love others. It's going to be a good thing. So once again, you can grab the book. It's okay to start with you on Amazon. Julia, and before we leave, I would love for you to give us a challenge to our listeners. So from obviously who you are and your background, everything God's done in your life, can you give us a challenge to help us kind of live this out better and more practical? Yes. So one thing that I think is really easy to do, but is very effective, there's a lot of great research behind it, is practicing gratitude. And that kind of goes back to what you and I discussed earlier, Leah, about focusing on the positive in your life, right? And gratitude is a way to do that. And so I would challenge everyone to try to catch yourself sometime today thinking about yourself negatively and stop and pause and then name one thing that you're grateful for in your life, right? And so there's a lot of great research out there that just making a short gratitude list can actually make you happier um, and have an increased sense of well-being after I think it was just like 10 days of practicing gratitude, I think was the study that I looked at. So it's a really powerful thing and it's so easy to do and it doesn't have to be, you don't have to be grateful for something big and, you know, existential, but it can be something really small like fresh flowers or, you know, a great cup of coffee or a quick phone call with a friend, but just stopping yourself when you catch yourself thinking negatively and making that conscious choice. No, I'm going to be say something that I'm grateful for instead can help you start that road or that path of turning things around and ignoring and challenging that inner critic. I love it. So great. And I like how you also gave the example of practicing gratitude for yourself. Mm -hmm. I think because of what we discussed in the very beginning, we have this idea of always thinking about taking care of others, right? Like we're, and it's a good thing, very other focused but we always like, okay, if we're going to practice gratitude, I'm going to say something nice about someone else. I'm going to say, I'm going to, our default might be to like express gratitude for something outside of who we are, which is mm-hmm. still a good thing. But there's that piece missing where you do, you know, we do need to look at ourselves and be like, okay, what am I grateful for within me? What what am I grateful for? What are the gifts that and the blessings God's given me today? To how does God love me? And then being grateful for that. So just almost turning that in a little bit is as I think something that's not common for most people. Yeah. As you were talking, I just kept nodding my head. I know that <laughs> you can't see that, but yes, totally agreeing with you there. And I think it can be uncomfortable to think about ourselves. And so it might seem like a difficult challenge at first, but there are good things about you and it's not fair to ignore them, right? And to acknowledge that you've been given gifts by God, right? God gave each one of us a different, unique set of gifts. And for us to ignore them, is to not embrace something that he's given to us to give to the world, right? And so thinking about yourself can feel uncomfortable because we're not used to doing that, but it's a way of acknowledging the great, awesome things that God has given you and that unique combination that no one else has. And the first thing you have to do is appreciate them so that you know that you can cultivate them and use them in the world. Amen. Amen. Julia, you've been an amazing guest and pleasure. You've given us so much. It was so deep and juicy. I really appreciate all the practicals and everything. And I'm so thankful that you wrote this book. I, as another author, I know how just (laughs) life-sucking it is. (laughs) 
at times to write a book, mm-hmm. you feel like yes. it's never going to end. Right. Ever. But it but it has. And I'm so thankful it has. And I'm glad that you chose to start with you however long it was ago so that you can now give us these great gems in this fantastic book. It's okay to start with you by Julia Marie Hogan. Julia, thank you so much for being a guest here on the Do Something Beautiful podcast. Thanks so much, Leah. It was a pleasure. It was awesome. All right, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for listening to another episode here of the Do Something Beautiful podcast. And remember, whatever you do today, do something beautiful for God. God love you. God bless. And we'll talk to you later.